the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. See, Jesus was the administering priest. Just like he was the one who would take the animal and cut the animal's throat and then do the work of presenting the offering, Jesus presented himself to the Father as our burnt offering. We bring our lives as a living sacrifice. We willingly lay down on the altar. We say, okay, God, I, I trust you that whatever you need to cut away, whatever work you need to do, I'm wide open and I completely trust you. I'm fully surrendered. I'm not holding anything back. Paul says, you do that because that is holy and acceptable unto God. It's your reasonable service. Holy fire Jesus is our burnt offering, a life fully yielded to God. And for us, that we're to yield our lives fully to God as well. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Leviticus. God had been working through the Israelites to reveal His holiness and mercy to all the people of the world. God had given them the moral, civil, and ceremonial laws on Mount Sinai back in the book of Exodus. We find that Leviticus picks up where Exodus left off. Leviticus starts by looking at a voluntary offering known as the burnt offering. We look at this burnt offering as we join Pastor Will in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 3. So with the burnt offering here in verse 3, he begins, If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. So here we are introduced to the burnt offering. The word there, burnt, means that which is wholly burned up. This offering was one that would be entirely consumed on the altar. There would be no feasting accompanied with this. There would be no sharing of food, none of that. All the meat would barbecue on the altar because the idea was all of it was being consumed by God. Now, the burnt offering is not new to Israel. Abraham offered burnt offerings. Moses' father-in-law offered burnt offerings. The burnt offering symbolized or communicated one's absolute surrender to God. You'd be losing all the meat of the animal, so it always came at great cost. He realized this is not something you would just do and go, hey, you know, honey, grab one of the cows out there. Let's go sacrifice to the Lord. I mean, that was something you either purchased or something you had cultivated, something you had used. This was beast of burden, something that was of worth to you. And it cost you a lot to bring it as a burnt offering because you wouldn't get any benefit from it. So the idea is that as all of the meat was burning on the altar, one's entire life was being given to God. That was the symbolism behind it. This is why it was a voluntary offering. God didn't require them. He said, you're going to bring me everything you got and you're going to bring it to me now and it's going to cost you. This was up to them. It was their choice. They had to come and say, you know, I want to give the Lord my whole life. I want to surrender my life to him. Sometimes what a Jew would do is they would say, Lord, I've kind of been slacking lately. I want this year to be different. I want want to offer a burnt offering to you. I want to be sold out to you this year and just live for you completely. And they would come, and they probably wouldn't say it like that. I'm a little more modern. But they would come, and they'd bring a burnt offering to the Lord. And it would be symbolic of the fact that they were not going to, you know, compromise, and they were not going to mess around with God's word anymore or God's law. They were going to do it the right way, and they'd give their whole lives to him. 
And so that's what's being referenced here. Now, God would give them three options for their burnt offering, depending upon their income level. The wealthy are instructed first. For it says, if his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. Now, the herd here would be a large mammal, in this case, a bull or an ox. This is not something everyone had. In fact, the modern day equivalent would be somebody bringing a tractor or something like that is what I heard someone say. And that's probably most appropriate. This was an incredible expense being brought forth. And so for them, they could bring this. And for those who are more wealthy, if they wanted to say, Lord, I give you everything, they couldn't bring a turtle dove like the poor people. They had to bring the big tamale, you know. They had to bring Bessie or they had to bring the ox, you know. They had to bring something that cost them, you know. And so they, if they were going to do that, they would bring a burnt, a burnt sacrifice of the herd. They gives the requirements. He would have to be a male without blemish, okay? It doesn't mean that the females were blemished. It just means there's a reason for it. There's symbolism there. We'll get to that later. Let him offer a male without blemish. So it could have no defect, no handicap. It, it, the, literally, the phrase without blemish, blemish means of prime market value. This had to be your best stuff. I, I read a story once about a, a farmer who... Uh, you know, he was, you know, uh, he wanted to give something to the Lord. And he said, honey, he said, uh, you know, when the, the, uh, the calves, you know, give birth, you know, the cows give birth, he says, you know, you know we're going to give one of them to the Lord. And so, you know, the, the cow had two and, uh, but, and one of them didn't make it though. And so the guy came in and he said, honey, the Lord's calf died. <laughs> you know, because it, it was not as costly to him to give that one, you know. And, uh, and the idea was, no, you need to give your best. You know, it needs to be of, of prime market value. And that was part of the priest's job. He was to inspect the animal to ensure that you were bringing your best, you know. And so, but it mentions here, though, it's of your choice. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will, his own choice, at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. So it was not required. It was something you chose to do. And I, I love that about, you know, the Lord. He's such a gentleman, you know. He's such a gentleman. He, he, you know, he doesn't demand you're going to do this. He doesn't, you know, yell at you and scream at you and say, give me your life, you know, because if you don't, you're a bad follower, you know. But he, he loves us and he draws us to himself. So we get to the place, say, Lord, why wouldn't I give you my whole life, you know. You know, what is it, uh, there's a story in the, in the New, Old Testament of, of the servant, you know, who, who it has to be set free every seven years, but maybe he comes to the end of the seven years and he thinks, man, I'm not very good at it on my own. I always get into debt, you know, and I'm always having to go back into servanthood. And I like my master and you know what? I'm better off serving him. He's a good master. He takes care of me. And, and so he would consecrate his life and say, I'm going to be his servant for life, a bond slave. You know, that's how we are. When we come with our lives to the Lord, we say, Lord, you're just so good. I'm not good on my own. I'm good when you're in charge. I want to serve you with all my life for the rest of my life. And that's what this was about. It was a voluntary offering of your life to the Lord. Now there was the job the offerer had and then the job that the priest had. The worshiper, it says here in verse four, when he would bring it, he would put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So he would take his hand and put it on the head of the animal. And in fact, the place there where it says he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, it connotates the idea of to kind of lean on it. The idea is you're not just touching it and keeping your distance. You're going to hear that thing breathing. You're going to hear that thing that there's life pumping through it. And then you're going to feel as its life goes out. The idea is there's seriousness here. The action symbolized that the bull was taking the worshiper's place. For it says here, and it shall be accepted for him to make an atonement for him. The phrase make atonement means to provide a covering. You know, there needed to be a covering because none of them were worthy of offering themselves to God. 
I mean, you know, it, 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 it's, it's funny because if you share with someone who's not a believer, you know, but, but they kind of have an, uh, an affinity for God or they like the idea of God, you know, and sometimes they'll tell you and say, well, I'm turning over a new leaf. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start living for God. I'm going to start doing things right. I'm going to start, you know, being a better dad, being a better husband and being a harder worker. And you say, well, that's great, but there's one problem. Why should God accept that from you? I mean, on what basis can you just kind of waltz up to God and say, hey, God, you know? I mean, the equivalent would be of ISIS just walking up to the people who are trying to kill him and being like, hey, guys, we're going to have a change of heart. We're going to turn around and could you just kind of leave us be and let us alone? No, you're going to jail. You know, we're going we're gonna to take you in. We can't let you harm anyone else anymore. The same idea as us with God. We're, we're an enemy walking into the camp. And if we don't come under the right terms, which is an absolute, you know, recognition of guilt and then a, you know, a coming under Christ, we can't be accepted. Here, they couldn't just come and say, God, I want to give you my whole life. And Isaiah says that all of our good deeds are like filthy rags in God's sight, like not a pretty picture. So how can I offer to him anything of worth? There had to be a covering. So the animal served both as a symbol and a covering for sin. Now, placing one's hand upon that animal drove home the reality that our sin separates us from God. This would be a time of reflection and prayer. They would not just put their hand on the animal and then the deed would be done. No, that the person there would be given time to ponder the significance of what he was doing, to confess any sin, to pray with and, and commune with the Lord. As he would be there in that reflection and time of prayer, he would say, Lord, I'm not worthy to give you anything, you know, but I love you and I want you to have my entire life. Please accept this substitute for my sin and accept the offering of my life. And when that was done, the priest would then do his part. Verse 5. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priest, Aaron's son, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood around about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the altar, on the fire. And the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. The idea here is, and he shall kill the bullock. That's not the offerer. I know it sounds like it might be because the he in verse 4 is the offerer. But the problem is nowhere in Israel's history did the offerer perform this deed. In fact, we get a clue when we go down to the turtle dove where it mentions that the priest will handle that. He's the one who will wring off its head and burn it on the altar. So the death act was completed by the priest, not by the offerer. And I think that's important because when we look at the reflection of how this points to Christ, Jesus said, no man took my life from me, I lay it down. And he's also not just our offering, but our high priest. The priest then would slit the animal's throat, the blood would drain, he would die pretty quickly, and then the animal would die, and at that point then, they would be underneath, the sons would be underneath with a golden bowl, and they would catch the blood of blood that was there, and then they would take it, and they would spatter it on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So the altar of sacrifice. That's where the, the grate would be on the top of the altar where the meat would barbecue. And then the priest would begin the work. And this would take a while, I imagine. He will flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. The word there, to flay, it means to strip or to remove the skin. Most commentators believe that this would then go to the priest for clothing. They would hold on to that and use it for that. Then they would cut it into pieces. They would butcher the meat into various sections uh, like any butcher would do. And then it mentions that the sons of Aaron, the priests, they'll put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire, verse 8. And then they would, it's kind of a monstrosity here, they'd lay the parts. The head would go first, then the fat, and then in order upon the wood, and then all the inwards and the legs, they would wash it out first with water, but then it would all go on the altar and it would burn. I mean, you would see this, 
You know, the other sacrifices were oftentimes bound to it like this, and then there would be different parts that would be butchered and cut. The burnt offering was entirely different. It was a monstrosity. And I think the idea there was, was again, to be a reminder of just how ugly sin is, you know? That sin is a monstrosity that keeps us from God. It is but by God's grace that he accepts us and receives not just us as his own, but our lives in consecration to him. It mentions here that after they do all this, it says the offering will be completely consumed on the altar, verse 9, as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord, a sweet smell, a pleasing aroma unto the Lord. When we barbecue it at my house, it's a big deal for our family. I'm not much of a cook, so when we do it, it's kind of a big deal. It's always exciting. The kids get excited and stuff. Oftentimes, we barbecue at friend's house or family's house. It's usually for a special occasion. But either way, it's, it's a time usually we, in our culture for those closest to you to enjoy each other's company. In the Middle East, eating together with someone was a major affair reserved only for the closest of friends. And so the idea is that as that meat burned on the altar, it was evidence that God accepted the offer of surrender. Something happened to the meat and it wouldn't burn or something. You know, that'd kind of be symbolic of saying that your life isn't pleasing to me. I'm not accepting it. But the idea that it would be consumed on the altar would be that it was pleasing to God, that the offering of one's life was accepted by him. All was well between you and God and he was pleased by the fact that you wanted to surrender your whole life to him. Now, verse 10, we get to the offering for the middle class Jew. It says here, and if his offering be of the flocks, namely of the sheep or the goats, for a burnt sacrifice, same deal. He shall bring a male without blemish. Different here, he mentions he will kill it on the side of the altar. Again, offer couldn't even go in that far to the tabernacle, so that's how we know it's the priest that does the killing. He shall kill it on the side of the altar, which is northward before the Lord, the Lord's presence there in the tabernacle. And the priest Aaron shuns shall spatter his blood round about upon the altar, and he shall cut it into pieces with his head and his fat, and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. But he shall wash the inwards and the legs with water. The inwards were the intestines, all that kind of yucky stuff that had to be cleansed. The priest shall bring it all and burn it upon the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, of a sweet savor unto the Lord. So the offering in the middle class would be of a sheep or a goat, and this is the one that most people would bring. This would be the offering that would be most common for the priests to see. And the only difference between this and the ox or the larger mammal, the bull, is it seems to be the location of the death blow because it wasn't outside by the door. It was actually inside the tabernacle on the north side of the altar. And then also the animal wasn't skinned. No reason is given for these differences, I'll share a little bit at the end why I think it might be, though. Then verse 14, we find the offering for the poor. It says, And if the burnt sacrifice for his offering of the Lord be of fowls, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or of young pigeons. And the priest shall bring it unto the altar and wring off his head and burn it on the altar. And the blood thereof shall be wrung out at the side of the altar. And he shall pluck away his, his crop. That would be the, the, the gullet, you know, with its dung. It would be the digestive tract of the bird. Had to get rid of all that stuff. That would make it unclean. And with his feathers, you know, so that's just all the, the gullet that's in there. And you'll cast it beside the altar on the east part by the place of the ashes, the place where the, the trash would be put. And he shall cleave it with the wings thereof. He'll spread the bird out on the altar. I don't know how he did that. We get no description. But he shall not divide it into two. He won't cut the bird up. And the priest shall burn it upon the altar, upon the wood that is upon the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Now, you might be saying, well, how do you know that these are for different income levels? It doesn't say here. You're right. But it's explained to us in Leviticus chapter 12, which we'll get to later, where it explains, depending upon their standing in society financially, they can bring these different offerings. 
Now, Leviticus 12 explains that a burnt offering was to be brought not just in surrender, but it was to be brought to dedicate every child and to make the mother ceremonially pure again. So you would bring a burnt offering in that situation as well. In light of that, I'd like us to look at Luke chapter 2. There's always some funny teaching out there about Jesus' economic status in society. The Bible doesn't leave that out for doubt, though. It tells us exactly what Jesus' economic status was in society. For in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, it says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her, that's Mary's, purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is proof that Jesus grew up in a poor family. You know, he grew up in a poor family. Jesus did not grow up in wealth. He, you know, I've heard people talk about how Jesus had his Rolls Royce and some other crazy stuff, you know. Uh, don't buy any of that junk. The Bible gives us clear understanding of what Jesus' economic condition was. He was poor. He was probably far worse off than you and most of you and I are. Now, in light of that, there's good to that because it means he knows what it's like to have a need. He understands what it's like when you don't have the money to pay a bill. He is truly a great high priest who can be touched with our struggles. Amen? (laughs) Well, That brings us to the end of chapter one, and I'm not going to go any further, although I probably will cover two offerings at a time from this moment forward. So read chapters two and three for next week. But we're not done yet. Because we've talked about how everything points to Jesus. So how does this all point to Jesus? Turn to 1 Peter chapter one. We'll be in the New Testament from this point forward. 1 Peter chapter one, verses 18 and 19. Referring to our redemption, our salvation. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, our old life, we were rescued from our old life, but not with silver and gold, with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, what? Without blemish and without spot. Jesus was our lamb. He was our burnt offering without blemish and without spot. Look at John chapter 10. Burnt offering was a free will offering. What Jesus says, verses 17 and verses 18. Jesus says, therefore does my father love me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received from my father. Jesus was our free will offering. He offered himself by his own choice. He was our burnt offering. Look at Hebrews 7 with me. See, I told you Leviticus was the most exciting book in the Bible. Hebrews 7, verses 26 and 27. For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needs not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice. The daily sacrifice they offered up was the burnt offering. Every morning, every evening, they offered the burnt offering. He doesn't need to do that. For it says to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. See, Jesus was the administering priest. Just like he was the one who would take the animal and cut the animal's throat and then do the work of presenting the offering, Jesus presented himself to the Father as our burnt offering, a lamb slain for us. One other thought to share. I believe Jesus was the lamb that was offered on the north side of the altar. It's interesting, the lamb was the one that was offered on the north side of the altar. John the Baptist didn't say, behold, the ox of God who takes away the sins of the world. He didn't say, behold, the turtle dove of God that takes away the sins of the world. He said, behold, the lamb of God. 
And what's interesting about the lamb is it was the one animal that was sacrificed on the north side of the altar. The hill of Calvary is on the north side of the temple. Kind of fascinating. Jesus' whole life, it was a burnt offering to the Lord. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus says this, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John six thirty-eight. Jesus said, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus' life was one that was fully surrendered, fully yielded, fully consecrated to God. He is the fulfillment of the burnt offering. And I say, okay, Will, how does this point to us? Well, you've probably already caught on if I haven't been too obvious. Look at Hebrews chapter nine with me. The last few verses there, verses 13 and 14. It says, for the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer, all the various things that the Israelites did to sanctify, the, you know, purify their flesh. If they could bring these offerings, if he could come to the, the door of the tabernacle with an ox or, or with a lamb or with a turtle dove, and, and, and you know, if they could come and do that, any person could do that. And, and, and God would receive it and he would accept their surrender. He would see them as cleansed or purified so he could accept their full surrender. Paul says, a writer of Hebrews says this. He says, if that's true for them in, in the Old Testament sacrifices, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? See, it points to us in the same way that our lives are to be voluntary surrendered to God. We're to offer up our lives as a burnt offering to God on a regular basis. You know, Pastor Chuck said this, he said, one of the problems today is the incomplete consecration of so many lives. He said, we hold back so many areas from God. God wants you to present yourself totally, completely to him, not reserving, not holding anything back for yourself, but a total consecration. That's what he wants. And he's so worthy of it because he is so good. He can take better care of us than we ever could take care of ourselves. And so Paul echoes that statement. You know, he says the same thing in chapter 12 of Romans, verses 1 and 2, when he says, Therefore I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of all the mercy God's shown to you, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. See, we don't go and put our bodies on the altar so that, you know, he could plunge the knife and cut up the meat and all that kind of stuff. We bring our lives as a living sacrifice. We willingly lay down on the altar and we say, okay, God, I, I trust you that whatever you need to cut away, whatever work you need to do, I'm wide open and I completely trust you. I'm fully surrendered. I'm not holding anything back. Paul says, you do that. Because that is holy and acceptable unto God. It's your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That our lives might be like a sweet aroma unto the Lord, even as Jesus' was. So the burnt offering, Jesus is our burnt offering, a life fully yielded to God. And for us, that we're to yield our lives fully to God as well. Amen? Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for this beautiful picture that we have in the Old Testament sacrifice of what you did for us, how you held nothing back from your Father. You said, I do do always those things that please the Father. The words that I speak, they aren't mine. They're what my Father wants me to say. And then, Lord, at the very end, you said, Father, glorify your Son with the glory I had with you before I came into the world. Lord, you fulfilled your mission. You were a man who was fully yielded to, to, to God. And Lord, we want to follow that example. In the same way that your life was a sweet-smelling savor to the Father, Lord, we want to walk in love and have our lives be a sweet-smelling savor to you as well. And so we present, Lord, ourselves to you as a living sacrifice. 
Lord, we don't deserve to be able to do that, but we give ourselves to you fully and completely. Will you take us as your own, Lord? Will you fill us with your spirit so we can live it out each and every day? Lord, that's our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. God is a holy God, separate from his creation. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Worshiping Him for who He is looks different than how the rest of the world worships themselves or other things. When we offer our whole being to God, He does not reject us, but instead draws us deeper into relationship with Him. Come and see how amazing God is. Did you know you can call us and ask for any physical assistance or spiritual need? We would love to pray for you. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.